Welcome to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host Dennis Simpson as we discuss the history, facts, people, places, events, lots more surrounding Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com. Today's show is brought to you by Central Arkansas's favorite radio station, KVRE. Find them on the dial at 92.9 FM. Stream them live at kvre.com. Our guest today is Siegfried Johnson. Sig is senior pastor of Christ of the Hills United Methodist Church in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Sig is also the author of Dancing with David, a work of historical religious fiction. We welcome Sig to the show. Another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out, and today our special guest is Mr. Sig Johnson. Dr. Sig, I would say, but nobody ever refers to you that way. Sig, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Dennis. Good to see you. Good to see you too. And we are recording as we hit the record button today. It is March 1st, and we would consider this a semi-spring-like day. This is the the day we have to remind us that last week weather was trying to kill us, right? Beautiful day today in Hot Springs Village. I'm telling you. So I can't wait to get into this. Uh, We're not going to talk about what you think we're going to talk about. We have a pastor on today, and it's not going to be what you think, but we're going to start about what you might think. Tell me about, you have a new book coming out, coming out very soon. Tell me about the format and the genre, because I'm, I'm, I think I'm a well-read guy, and I've never heard of this genre before. Tell me what this is. Well, the genre is called uh, religious historical fiction and Christian historical fiction as well. And really what it is, it's an archaeological mystery that's premised on actual Dead Sea discoveries from 1956 and from 2017 in two different caves at the Dead Sea. And then my imagination goes wild from there. <laughs> How do you sleep at night, man? <laughs> I've been a drill. <laughs> and Big Sab. That's that's mine and Diane. That's go. our it's a little Big Sab here and the Benadryl. And, you know, and I tell my doctor that and he's like, Benadryl. Oh, that's so silly. But it works. Right. Uh, so let, let we'll come back to this in just a minute, because this is the crux of it. But Sig, how did what boy from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, make it to to Hot Springs Village. It's been a long trip and a, and a, and a circuitous path, right? Well, it, it has. And I was in ministry a very early at an early age, at the age of 20. And then I wanted to leave ministry uh, after my seminary time in 1985. And I headed to Ann Arbor, Michigan to study with the great Dead Sea Scroll scholar, David Noel Friedman. Really? And uh, so I was with him there for five years from 1985, during the late 1980s. And uh, it was really then that the seed for this book w- that occurred. So I was uh, at Ann Arbor in the University of Michigan. And eventually, I felt the call to come back into parish ministry and come back to Arkansas, which is my home. And uh, the Bishop of the United Methodist Church opened up an avenue for that in, in uh, 1994. And the rest is history. I've served in the uh, Arkansas Conference of the United Methodist Church now for 27 years. Really? Now, somewhere in there, 
there's a Baptist in the woodpile somewhere. I heard there was a Baptist period in there somewhere. <laughs> there was indeed. Uh, I was playing basketball at Arkansas State University in the 70s and, and attending with some friends of Baptist Church and felt a call into ministry during that time. And so I spent the first five or six years as a Baptist pastor. Well, okay. Okay. So we've done that and, and you're skipping over because I know you're a very humble, modest guy, but you were pastor at Pulaski Heights Methodist in Little Rock where that was the big TV show that they no, were. No, 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 no. Uh, that's, oh. that's, don't give misinformation here. No. what did I do? what did I do? There are two very large United Methodist churches in Little Rock. One of them is Pulaski Heights, and the other one is St. James, more oh. in West Little Rock in Pleasant Valley. And oh. I was senior pastor for six years at St. James United Methodist Church. Pulaski so- Heights was our rival, you said. They, I'm sorry. They, they were the, uh, they were the uh, Hillcrest people. Yeah, oh, no, don't that- <laughs> go there. They called us the Country Club Church, too, since oh, we were right oh. there by Pleasant Valley Country. Well, y'all were on the other side of 430. That's why. They gave you all the ritzy into things that way. That's Well, correct. no, the, the, the reason why I bring that up is because you've served in lots of, of capacities and, and, to be very frank, had a very full career. And, and you and I went to lunch not too long ago. And one of my questions was, did you ask to be moved to Hot Springs Village or did that just occur or how did that work? I didn't ask to be moved to Hot Springs Village. In the United Methodist Church, we serve under an appointment system. But when Bishop Muller told me he was considering me for this appointment, I jumped all over it. Uh, He he just uh, uh, talked about this this congregation, and I've known, of course, this congregation, uh, uh, its reputation. And so I really wanted to come here and uh, have loved Hot Springs Village living on the lakes and playing golf and, and slowing down a little bit from the, not much, but a little bit from the much larger church in Little Rock. So I'm hearing it's a struggle. That's what I'm hearing. Oh, such a struggle. <laughs> one of the, when the bishop told me about this, he, he hugged me and he said, one great thing about Christ of the Hills is in this mostly retirement community, you will have no more night meetings. All of your important <laughs> meetings will happen at 10 o'clock or two o'clock. And you can go home at five o'clock and be with your family. And and here's the news, though. Number one, go home is just a couple of miles. And number two, the 10 o'clock meeting, that's code for you need to be there at 955. Because, you know, if if you're on time in the village, you're 10 minutes late. You know, you you, you better be. Anyway, enough village talk. Let's talk more about the book. So this is not your first book. You've authored some other books before. But but historical biblical fiction. I mean, I, I see kind of the, the, the genesis of that now, but how did you get there? Is, is this a genre that, that, I mean, how many books are there that way? Oh, there are thousands and thousands and thousands. Really? Uh, the, uh, the book really started in, in so many ways when I was in the University of Michigan. And I remember being in a doctoral seminar there with, the, as I said, the great Dead Sea Scrolls scholar, David Noel Friedman. And uh, that's where I first learned about a psalm called Psalm 151. And there are only 150 psalms in the Bible. But Psalm 151, a very brief autobiographical psalm of King David, has been known since before Jesus. It was in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, that was translated in Alexandria, Egypt, before Jesus was born. And it included a non-biblical psalm at the end of the 150 psalms that's often called Psalm 151, where David describes two things, 
how he was a shepherd boy outside of Bethlehem, and he was called to be anointed by Samuel, even though he was smaller than his brothers and less handsome, he said, than his brothers. And the other story he relates is his defeat of the giant Goliath. And I wondered then, why would David offer an autobiographical psalm and not give us much more of his life? And people thought, scholars thought, Psalm 51 was only a Greek edition that had no Hebrew, no real Hebrew Bible undergirding to that. So basically Until, a, a, post, a post-canonization or, a, or what, exactly. a post-Jesus. But that changed in 1956. In 1956, as the Dead Sea Scrolls were being discovered, there was a scroll out of Cave 11, Qumran Cave 11, called the Great Psalms Scroll that actually included the Hebrew text of this psalm that had been known for 2,000 years. Really? Well, 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 hang on. And I apologize to our listeners, but I want to back up to the 10-mile high view. What are the Dead Sea Scrolls? I mean, you and I have these conversations, and I'm on the same page with you. But but to the casual observer who, who may not know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, what are they and why were they so pivotal, Sig? Yeah, well, thank you for that question. The Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were discovered in the late 1940s and through the 1950s uh, on the banks of the Dead Sea in the caves around the Dead Sea in what's known as the Qumran community. And uh, the idea was that that was a religious sect called the Essenes. And when the Romans came and and, and just uh, conquered, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and and conquered the the entire region, that the Essenes hid their sacred documents in the surrounding caves. The Dead Sea, of course, is the lowest surface point on the face of the earth at some 1,300 feet below sea level. And uh, so they hid those scrolls in jars there. And uh, a little uh, uh, Bedouin uh, boy actually in the late 1940s was hunting for a a lost sheep and threw a rock into one of the caves and heard a a crackling, heard, heard a breakage. And it was one of those jars that broke. And that started, they found the scrolls in there that were 2,000 years old, and that started the search for the Dead Sea. So in all those caves around the Dead Sea, uh, uh, the search went on. And in cave cave 11 in 1956 was discovered the undergirding Hebrew text of that psalm that had been known for 2,000 years, but it only told those two stories of David. So I always wondered, what if I could just imagine an archaeologist in the year 2021 who in another Dead Sea Scroll cave, and this is going to happen in cave 53 in my book, which is a very real cave that was discovered in 1993 and excavated in 2017 by Liberty University here in the United States and the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And... uh, uh, what if a new archaeologist of my imagining of my imagining would discover the f- entire Psalm 151 that carries the trajectory of David's life 
much, much further into his life, all the way to the point when he actually dances. The title of the book is Dancing with David. When he is dancing and uh, leading the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem after he had conquered the city and made it uh, his capital city. And so that's what I do on six limestone tablets. I imagine the complete Psalm 151. And that starts the story. Can I say fast? That is absolutely fascinating. It really is. So I understand that you saw a, and, and pardon my loose term, but you saw um, decades ago, basically a dangling participle. And you said, I wonder what the rest of that paragraph would say. That's is a that, very good way to describe it. I wish that, I had thought of that. Well, no, I just, I think <laughs> about that and I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's absence or it's silence is greater than what it might be imagined. I, I want to go back to just a couple of things real quick, and I appreciate you giving us a recap. I, I find it fascinating. You said that, was it K-53, you said? K-53, that's correct, discovered okay. in 1993. Discovered in 1993 and only excavated in 2017? Well, they did some initial excavations. Right. But they, uh, but, but the, the, the deepest excavation was in 2017 uh, with those two great schools. And it was decided then because they, they found no scrolls. No, no Hebrew text scroll has been found since 1956. Really? Uh, and so I'm imagining here in 2021, the very first Hebrew t Dead Sea scroll uh, found. But what they did find, Dennis, in K-53 are seven jars that were just like the ones that were found in the actual Dead Sea Scroll caves. And so what the, uh, the excavators, the chief excavators concluded was this had actually been a Dead Sea Scroll cave and it had been looted by locals uh -huh. and the scrolls were actually taken to the, mar to, to, to the markets there in Jerusalem and uh, to, to the antiquities markets and uh, considered to be other Dead Sea Scrolls found in other caves. But they're already out there. We just didn't know their original provenance. Yeah. And, and for, for those who wonder, you know, so it's a Dead Sea Scroll and you find these pieces of parchment in a, in a, a, a jar, uh, in a pottery jar, in a, in a cave, in the middle of the desert, what, 2000 years later or whatever. Why is that important? And, and if you don't get it, and that is, you know, the ancient Hebrew scriptures, we, we want to, make, to think that those had fidelity and they didn't change throughout the years. Well, there's nothing like a 2,000-year checkup to go, oops, look, here's a copy of some of the original Essene scripts, right? Exactly right. That's one of the most interesting things about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scroll was it predated any existing Hebrew uh, text of the Bible. And so the obvious question, as you've just stated it, was when we look at, at the Dead Sea Scrolls produced uh, 2,000 years ago and look at the most recent Hebrew text we have, how how close is the actual Hebrew text uh, to what we already know? And, and of course, the answer was very, very reliable. And uh, now, not all the Dead Sea Scrolls are biblical texts. There are other community texts and laws and rules for the Qumran community and so forth. So it's not all the Copper Scroll and others, the Temple Scroll. So uh, it's not all biblical, but where you have a biblical text, very important to compare it to the known biblical uh, Hebrew text. And uh, the result was very satisfying. And, and I'm going to chase a rabbit just for me, just for a minute. Tell me more about the Essenes. 
The Essenes were a monastic sort of a community that lived out in the desert, many perhaps thinking that the, uh, the actual uh, bureaucracy, if you would say, uh, of, the, of the temple in Jerusalem had be, become corrupt in the same way we might look at Washington, D.C. of being corrupt. Well, this sounds so they familiar. They out into the fringes. I've heard this story. This sounds familiar. So we, so uh, they were the uh, the modern day military militia, or the uh, the the uh, back to the landers because this we couldn't was trust flyover the territory, no doubt. They were what? I'm sorry. Flyover territory. <laughs> flyover territory. <laughs> well, they they were out in uh, and and many people, by the way, people will know the Jesus story. Many, many think that John the Baptist was one of those Essenes. Really? Who, uh, you know, the Bible describes him as wearing camel hair and eating locust and honey. Yeah. That he was out there in that monastic community because Jesus would have been. He baptized Jesus, and that would have been very near Qumran, right where the. Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea, only a few miles from Qumran. So did Jesus actually come out from Jerusalem to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, who was an Essene? It's an interesting question. It's a fascinating question. Well, let's go back to the book just for a minute. Dancing with David, the name of your book, which is a brand new book. When does this release? Well, the it was actually went live on Amazon on February the 15th. So people okay. have been getting the Kindle and, and the uh, uh, the uh, paperback copy since then. The actual launch date of the book, though, is a very important day in the book and a very important day in, uh, in the uh, Jewish calendar, and that will be March the 17th. I'm looking forward to doing a program here at the church to talk about the archaeological and architectural underpinnings of this historical fiction, this religious historical fiction. Well, I, Randy and I were discussing this, and unfortunately, Randy's uh, uh, had to, to step away for just a moment. But Randy and I were discussing this. I, I, I read quite a lot, but I, I can't remember the last time I read a fiction, just a pure fiction book, and because I keep looking for, for truth in it. And, and I think this book will blow my mind because I'm, <laughs> I'm wanting to, to delineate between, well, I know that's fact. Okay, well, where do we vary? How do we go? What, how do you play in that? Oh, playground? the great author makes it so confusing. You won't really know, right? <laughs> no, that, it, I, okay. You're trying to turn me off of reading it now. <laughs> no, this book takes you, it, it does make it very clear. And this book takes you into three time periods. It's really the first part of the book is set in 1988 in, a, in Memphis in a Christian uh, college. And, uh, and so there's a lot of 1988 in here, very real 1988 things in sports, film, politics, and so forth. It's uh, the, the lectures uh, uh, on Hebrew poetry, just like I was in the lectures on David Noel Friedman's Hebrew poetry at the University of Michigan. That's how this started. In a way, you could say this is a fictionalized autobiography for me, because so many of these uh, things are very real. So not only 1988, but then you go back to the biblical accounts of King David in 1000 BC, so 3000 years ago. So you have that time period and you have a reflection back to King David. And then it all leads to the last half of the book, which is a Holy Land adventure. And that takes place right now and culminates the, the search for uh, the lost tablet, because when the six tablets are found, the sixth tablet of, the, of King David's song claims that there was a lost seventh tablet that was intentionally hidden, so not really lost, but hidden, and uh, that, that uh, tablet 
could only be discovered by this amazing woman who shows up in David's psalm, and he calls her his Kohav Hayam, which in Hebrew means my star of the sea. She had appeared to him as a muse to lead him. And uh, so the, the seventh tablet is thought to be then King David's final prophecy. And so this leads to a Holy Land adventure. And uh, the last part of the book then is set in 2022, this year. Right. And March 17th is when it all comes together. That's this year, March 17th is the Jewish holiday of Purim which is from the book of Esther, when God's plan all comes together and saves the Jews from destruction. And uh, so it's, uh, it all comes together on March the 17th. I, absolutely fascinating. I think you have a copy of the book there. Hold up a copy so our guests yes. can see it, our, our, our listeners, viewers can see it. And it's, hold up just a little higher. So it's Dancing with David. And was this made easier by the fact you had already written a book before? No, a completely different thing than what I had done before. So uh, in some ways, I guess the answer to that would be yes. But this is so completely different that uh, honestly, I began writing it uh, and got serious about writing it when our church shut down for COVID on March the 15th, 2020. So two mm -hmm. years ago now. And I had opened a file on it. I had thought I would wanted to do something with this. Uh, four or five months before, but I hadn't had the time to do anything. And so once the church shut down and there for several months, you know, we, we were all in our homes locked away and, and I had all the time in the world. And so then it began to really take shape. Wow. Well, the reason I was asking, I mean, going through the publishing and finding a publisher and finding the, all those procedures, that obviously was redundant. But the reason I'm going back to this is because that, that, seed that dangling participle as it were that you've looked back on for years and years and then there was just frankly it sounds like god's perfect time for you to have months to focus on this stare mm -hmm. out at the lake and go hmm hmm what if what if there's a lot of what if here <laughs> a lot of what if and as a matter of fact the very beginning says that the the the, the description of the book for those who might call it up and look at it, it says that uh, the birth of a little boy in Bethlehem 2000 years ago was absolutely not what centuries of Jewish messianic expectations was. So what if, what if there's another surprise out there? What if before Jesus comes back to the Mount of Olives as the New Testament says that he will do, what if God has another baby on the way, a girl this time, uh, another child of David, if you would, almost a half-sister uh, of Jesus himself? And so uh, that's where we're going with this book. So there's some eschatological undertones here some uh, uh, on this adventure that uh, takes the reader into some... Uh, uh, there's a lot of theology here. There's a lot of Bible commentary. It's not Bible commentary and it's not theology, but there is a lot of those things here in this book. And uh, it's a great journey. You're, you're intriguing me now. And I want to tell you, and I'll tell our listeners and viewers, I wanted to share something. Uh, I've, I've, about two years ago, we became more closely associated, I think would be a fair way to phrase that. Because with the shutdown, all of a sudden, uh, every church I knew wanted to be online, and they all called at the same time and said, hey, Dennis, can you get us online? 
And, and we some, paid you more than the others, right? Some paid us more than the others. And some, <laughs> some I could help immediately. And some I had to kind of, uh, let's work this out. But where I went with that is we started filming the services and recording some services for you. And, yeah. and we would put those services up and, and at, in a discussion later on where you and I had more time to speak directly to each other. Um, I made a note. I, I said, you know, a, a good speaker will put a, a the, put the cookies on a lower shelf. Okay. An excellent speaker who I call you uh, would be somebody who puts a cookie on every shelf. And because I, I know I how you do you that, that yes. you, you, you will put a cookie on the high shelf. If you have a doctorate, you'll go, oh, yeah, OK. If you're a, a if you're an elementary student, you'll go, oh, OK, that. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'll, I'll give that recommendation to Sig. And that is I know you put a cookie on every shelf all the way across. Was it tough to remove yourself and pardon the term? <clears throat> how do I say this um, in, in a in a very Judeo-Christian world? It's easy and in a in a post messianic period for us to look and say, okay, well, this was all we knew the Messiah was coming. Mm, that's not what the Old Testament says. No, they knew a Messiah was coming, but they didn't know his name would be Jesus, right? In our book. And, and did you have to remove yourself from some parts of this, or or how do you handle that? I think just the opposite, Dennis. Actually, I inserted myself, as I said a moment ago, in some ways, this is a fictionalized autobiography. Yeah. Because uh, for, for I have two main characters here, who uh, a Jewish professor and a Christian pastor, male and mm. female. He's the professor who comes in his very first year of teaching out of Ann Arbor to a Christian college. And uh, one of his students is a 22-year-old uh, female who is struggling with a call to ministry, a call to preach. And so in some ways, that's a reflection of what I was doing when I went to Ann Arbor. I was struggling with my call to ministry. I'd been in ministry. As I said, I was in the Baptist church before I moved up there. And I was really struggling. I, I thought I wanted to move into a academia completely. And uh, so in some ways, those characters are really reflections of me, one of them, the, the, the professor and the other, the, the pastor who come together. And hopefully their union will create something uh, worthwhile and beneficial for the world. Well, this sounds it literally does. This sounds absolutely fascinating. Other tangents I want to take just for a moment. If I'm not mistaken, are you leaving the country in a couple of months? I am. It will be my 15th trip to Israel on April the 25th. I've led, as a matter of fact, I'm glad you brought that up because the book is dedicated to the many hundreds of pilgrims who have trusted me to guide their Holy Land adventures. And, and those certainly, when I'm talking about places and events in the Holy Land, they'll, they will have a mental picture of that. But uh, yes, we're leaving on April the 25th. This is a COVID-delayed trip from last year and now we're all good to go israel's opened up again and we're ready to go we have a, a, a great group of about 60 pilgrims that will be with me on this particular trip so uh, actually one of them is my next door neighbor right over here donna and uh, and connie will be going oh with yeah you. So, yeah wonderful they will folks. be with us uh, but the reason I say that I haven't had the pleasure to go but I've read the reviews of people that have gone and they say it's a life-changing event it really it gives them a different basis is what I hear tell. It is. It, it really is. Uh, and, and I lead faith-based tours uh, all over Europe. And uh, for, from uh, 
the, the cradle of Christianity in Turkey and, and, and Greece and, and Italy and, and on over into uh, more developed uh, 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 denominational Christianity as we know it from England and, and all the Ireland and, and all the rest. So I lead a lot of trips, faith-based trips, but by far the most important is to go where Jesus walked. We say we are, we are going to run where Jesus walked because we're not there long enough to really walk. <laughs> we have to really run from site to site to get a taste of the Holy Land. And it's so, a spectacular. How many days is that tour, Sig? Ours is 11 days in Israel. And then uh, we add three days to go to Jordan, which will take us down to one of the wonders of the world, the uh, city of Petra, which is, of course, famous from Harrison Ford and Sean Connery in that, that last uh, scene when they come to that city that's carved out of the, the limestone. Literally out of the Petros. Uh, exactly right, out of the rock. And, and, the, uh, and, and that is such an amazing sight. And I always like to take our pilgrims. Some, some of them can't extend those three days. They need to get back to the United States. But I always like to take our pilgrims to Jordan. It's a wonderful, or, or to Egypt. We we do both. And 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 I'm just reading between the lines. But there's no security issues that you've had or anything like that lately. No, we we, we feel perfectly safe over there, and and uh, no no security issues that we've that I've ever had to face in my 15 trips there. Well, I've got to ask: after 15 trips, where was your first trip, and when was that? And I mean, is this usually every couple of years, or how often do you go? It's 1997, and I've, I've traditionally gone every other year, although there's some exceptions to that. 1997 was my very first trip. Uh, I actually serve in Arkansas as the director of travel ministry for a company called Educational Opportunities Tours. It's a faith-based Christian operation uh, uh, that was headquartered in Lakeland, Florida. And I serve as their Arkansas representative, so I help pastors and link them with opportunities to lead faith-based tours. And uh, so my first trip was 1997, which is 25 years ago. And I then met another David, speaking of another, I've already talked about David Noel Friedman, my great professor. Right. And, uh, uh, but I met another David there, and I'll be looking forward to seeing David in April. And that's my guide, David Aaron's. And he's been a dear friend and a very much of an inspiration for this book. And uh, uh, so David Aarons has been my guide for 25 years. I'm the wow. tour host. I provide the spiritual atmosphere. And David gives us uh, historical and flora and fauna and, and uh, all, the, all of that. And the trip becomes then a, uh, a wonderful experience for our pilgrims. And they get a very balanced look at the Holy Land. Well, I, and this is just my nosy questions, and I hope our, our listeners and viewers are following my nosiness, and maybe they have their own, uh, but would you have been able to write this book, Dancing with David, had you not been taking your tours? I mean, would it, would it have meant or would it be as valid? Oh, no way. No, really? No, no way. And I, as a matter of fact, I was sending the manuscripts to David Aarons for uh, his mm. input on this as well. Uh, but I'm talking about various places, various sites, and the the architectural undergirding of the final scenes in this book, and it's a very explosive ending, very unexpected ending, uh, are on the Mount of Olives. And uh, some of the great churches and hospitals on the Mount of Olives, and in particular, the Church of All Nations, 
and uh, Dominus Flevit. These are two churches built by the great architect of the Holy Land in the 20th century, the Italian architect Antonio Barlucci. No one can go to the Holy Land and come back since the 20th century without being impacted by the architecture of Antonio Barlucci. And he himself becomes a part of the story, fictionalized, of course. Uh, but he's very, very real, and those places are very, very real. And those who have been to the Holy Land with me or with someone else will know these places very, very intimately. This sounds absolutely fascinating, and, and you've teased me enough. Okay, I've got to at least read the last part, but <laughs> I'll have to read the whole thing to understand. But the explosion? It. Yeah, the explosion. Well, but I got to tell you, uh, I've seen a review, and apparently, the explosion and the ending and everything else is pretty much blown away some of your reviewers too. What what have we heard? Well, we have the, the book actually uh, landed on number one on Amazon's hot new releases for uh, religious historical fiction, the genre that we began our interview with. And so it landed on number one. It's been playing around between number one and number four. It'll go up and down and up and down in these last days. It's very fun to watch that. But uh, uh, some of the reviewers are starting to come in, and, and one of them today that we saw uh, talked about the, uh, uh, the, the journey that she took with me on this book and, uh, and, and made some very wonderful statements, especially at the end, just to say that she recommends the book as a very uh, uh, exceptional, uh, let me look at it and see what she said, the exceptional tale that will lead readers of all genres awestruck. And so I hope wow. others will agree with her when they read the book. Uh, it would be hard to get a better compliment than that, it sounds like to me. That was a very great review. We'd love to see it. That came from Feathered Quill. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so we're, we'll have some other professional reviewers uh, coming in these next few days. Hopefully wow. they'll all be like this one. Because well, I got to ask, like was this your goal when you were a little boy? Did you say, man, someday I want to write a book? Huh? Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, um, I don't know, Dennis. That's a good question. <laughs> I, just, I think I just wanted to be a professional basketball player back then. <laughs> You have the height, you know, people would ask me, you and I both are relatively tall and people would say, well, Dennis, do you, do you play basketball? And I always say, no, it requires something I don't have. It's called coordination. And, uh, I couldn't, yeah, no, I couldn't, no, no, I just couldn't put all those together. Do you think you have another book in you? No doubt. The, the, there is groundwork here for a sequel. Really? And, and uh, we're already talking about it with the publishers and, and so uh, there's definite groundwork for a sequel, and um, but I, I haven't had the energy to really develop it much yet, but I've sure got some great thoughts toward it. I'm guessing that as we move to the village and you think more about retirement and winding down that you realize now it's probably one of the busiest times of your life. Yeah, you're not kidding. It, it <laughs> truly is. We're extremely busy. Well, that, that is a great, great community of faith, not, not just to hear at Christ of the Hills United Methodist Church, but the entire village is such a wonderful place and uh, so many great churches in our in our community. I tell you what I really appreciate here in the village, and that is the cooperative spirit. A lot of a lot of places, uh, churches don't always get along very well together, if you know what I mean. And, and it's not like they're 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 uh, I don't know refusing. what you no, know. you never heard of that. You've never, never heard of I've that. I've never heard of churches not getting along <laughs> or of church members not getting along. No, no, no. It's, it's, uh, I, 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 you don't want to talk about fiction. No, that's fiction, right? That, yeah. 
<laughs> well, that is where this book is leading. And the prophecy of David that they find on the seventh tablet prophesies a new baby girl who will, with her holy brother Jesus, bring about the healing of the nations. So all those squabbles that we're seeing right now with this terrible, terrible thing in Ukraine yeah, uh, healed, healed through this new child. Okay, I'm looking forward to that part. This is fascinating, Sig. It really is. It really is. You know, I, and I just dawned on me. Oh, I forgot to, I didn't get the list. Randy's not here yet, or maybe he's here and, and I hope I can tap him in here, but I, I'm going to go ahead and give you the lightning round. Okay. Okay. Hamburgers, tacos, steak. Steak. Hiking, walking, fishing. Walking. Your first concert. My first concert. I don't remember. What? What? Favorite, favorite group, favorite group or, or album? Boy, I tell you, I, I uh, talk a lot about the Beatles in this book. In the, really? In part because the professor is a Beatles fan and talks about it in his lectures. Wow. And particularly John Lennon and his fascination for the number nine throughout his life. There's a lot of numerology in this as well, by the way. And, ah. uh, Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, Kabbalah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so uh, there's, there's a lot of that here. Um, but I would say my favorite group, and this is also in the end of the book, I bring them in and, and bring one of their songs in and that's Chicago. Oh man. What a great group. Yeah. And I love the horns. Yeah. I was about to say it's, it's just an excuse for guys to have a rock band with a lot of horns is what it boils there down you to. Go. Favorite movie. Favorite movie. I don't know, Dennis. I wasn't prepared for this. Was <laughs> the lightning it's round. It's the lightning round. My favorite movie. I'll pass. Okay. Okay. We'll let you pass. We'll be dancing with David when it comes out. Ah, ooh, I like that. Or the sequel. Yeah. Still dancing, still dancing with David, if that's the sequel. Um, what, what's your perfect, what's your perfect day in the village? What's it like for you? What, what do you, what do you look and say, man, that's going to be my great day? Well, weather-wise, it's not like last week. It's more like this week. <laughs> And maybe even next week when we have some mild weather, uh, my perfect day in the village would be able to, 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 uh, I'm an early morning person. So I like to get up and spend time at my computer writing and, and checking things and, uh, eating a nice breakfast and then heading to the church and, uh, putting in some time here and, and visiting with people, knowing people, eating lunch with people like I did with you and the really perfect time, I'm, I'm more of a lake person than a golf person. I love them both, but I'd love to get this weather nice enough to get back out on my boat. I think that's tempting to me too. I'm ready to move past onto that. I am. I am. Well, Sig, I, is there anything else you'd like to add? Cause it's been a fascinating hour conversation here with you. Really not. I just appreciate you inviting me to be a part of this and appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to talk to me about dancing with David. Well, it's I been a pleasure. Enjoy it. I would say I, go Google it, dancing with David, comma Sigrid Johnson. Go to Amazon and and uh, grab the book. It sounds like an Amazon, or uh, I can put it on my Kindle. Is it? Is there an audio version of it yet? There, we're talking about an audio version right now. As a matter of fact, I've got uh, there. There will be five. Five ladies, because this is narrated, you see, by one of the main characters, Stella Maris, who was that 22-year-old 
college senior when she met the Jewish professor. Right. And so I need a female voice, preferably one who uh, knows a little bit of Hebrew because there's some Hebrew words in here. I'd love the pronunciation to be right. So we're not sure we're doing an audio version, but right now the book is taken off so well that it's certainly uh, a topic enough to where we're getting interview tapes that I'm going to be looking at this week and next and choosing one of the uh, ladies as my narrator. How wonderful. Well, let's, let's go one more here. How would people get in touch with you if you, they wanted to ask you some questions or wanted to learn more about this? Well, how to get in touch with me. Uh, what one way would be through uh, just calling the church office here at Christ of the Hills United Methodist Church. And uh, but my email is is Siegfried Johnson at yahoo.com. Mm-hmm. And that would be a good way to do it. And my website is SiegfriedJohnson.com, www.SiegfriedJohnson.com. So uh, many ways to get in touch with me, but I'd sure love to hear from you. And uh, for those who do purchase the book and read it, and and, uh, if you like it, I want you to leave a rating and a review at Amazon. That's very, very important. If you don't like it, don't worry about it. Don't don't tell anybody else if you don't like it. Don't rate it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Sig, as always, it's a pleasure and a delight. I'm so thankful for having you as a friend and great to have you on. For Nate Hot Springs Village Inside Out, I'm Dennis Simpson. He was Randy Cantrell, and this is Sig Johnson. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by visiting our website, hsvinsideout.com, and tell a friend.